Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Winner, and this is Jay McCarthy. Uh, we are here to talk about another episode of Better on Blockchain, where uh, we pick an industry, we decide um, if uh, if blockchain is better on it, and uh, really kind of go in a very unbiased way. And uh, as Chris mentioned, so we're the CEO and CTO of uh, Reach, and uh, today we'll be talking about a very exciting and uh, interesting way to apply blockchain, which is to uh, office suite technology. Office so that suite. is like, uh, you know, Microsoft Office, Open Office, Open Office, Google Docs, that kind of thing. So we're going to talk about how we can apply blockchain, blockchain to something like that. Yeah. So we picked this because, um, you know, the first two episodes, like I felt like we were, were kind of no brainers. And uh, so Jay and I thought like, okay, well, what is a thing that people don't really think about applying blockchain to and seeing if like we come up with a if, come up a good way to actually apply blockchain or, or not. Now let's follow our normal strategy, which is that we'll like, define the problem. Okay. So now like, obviously I think most people understand like what the office suite does. So you got your word processor, you got your spreadsheet, you got your presentation system. Uh, let's, let's kind of limit it to those three things. And, um, you know, obviously we use those as consumers. So we create them, uh, you can, you know, share them with people that you work with. You can collaborate with people online. I'm these glad you products, say collaboration. Yeah. These products are offered, <laughs> uh, via cloud services typically today, but you know, when we were younger, you would like, you know, get a cool new disc in the mail with your new version. Um, and then typically, uh, there are. Uh, like asset galleries that you can interact with. So for instance, there are like word templates, there are spreadsheet templates. Something that I really like about Google um, Sheets is that there's this uh, place to like, um, there's this like marketplace of plugins and functions and something like that kind of exists yeah. on Excel as well. And then finally, PowerPoint uh, is, you know, in, in presentation tools has tons of assets and uh, graphical design things. So that kind of is the problem. Anything I forgot, uh, Chris? No, that's about it. So I think pretty much everybody has used Office Suite at one time or another um, in their life. So I think most of this stuff that that's, that um, you'd be using is actually you would just be using yourself on a local computer. Well, so let's just like just talk about that just a little bit more. Okay. Okay. So when we're talking about blockchain, there's this uh, intuition that what the blockchain provides is this universal computer that everybody online is collaboratively running. So for instance, like the reason that a network like Ethereum is valuable is because there's a program running on Ethereum for all of those cool contracts and algorithms that you've heard about. So for instance, there's a program running that is Uniswap. There's a program running that manages, I don't know, so the cool stable coin that you've heard of. Okay, so those are all programs that are running collaboratively on this computer. And the reason that uh, a network like Ethereum is important is it makes it so that Chris and I, we can both trust that a particular program is running without having to trust Chris's computer or my computer or you know our friend uh, Tim's computer. We know that everyone is going to collaboratively be running this program in a way that no one can fake the results of it. Now, you could do that for any program. Like it is technically possible to run a word processor on that universal computer. But you wouldn't. Yeah, why like wouldn't why wouldn't we, Chris? So be and because everybody is running this these applications all around the world and having to uh, have consistency to actually agree with how they are done, they're extremely inefficient. 
um, actually running these things, running in full-blown applications and making sure that everybody agrees, it just wouldn't work. Or I mean, it, it theoretically possible, just not practical. Yeah, because essentially everybody on the planet has to run all of the same steps. So for instance, like if we made it so that when I like hit a keystroke or click a button, that means that everybody on the whole planet has to run the entire thing. And before I see the result of me clicking the button, we've got to wait to make sure that everybody, you know, saw the exact same button click. You know, yeah. as Chris said, it's possible to do this, but it's very, very expensive because like every single click in this sort of imaginary world would cost something. Right. But also, what would you get out of it? Why, why would that be valuable to even run it uh, exactly. collaboratively? It's Especially since when you hit a button, when you're you're building a, a writing report or whatever, you're kind of writing it for yourself to start. So who cares if everybody else in the world agrees to it um, with every single key press? So, um, but so this is just computation. But what about storage? So like, so okay. So I I I write it locally and then I store it on the chain, Jay. Yeah, I is mean that, th that kind of makes sense. So for instance, like right now we um, like you could save it on your local disk. Uh, but then, you know, my laptop crashes, I forgot it somewhere, I need to get it somewhere else. So, you know, this is what this is what motivates cloud services. And um, cloud services right now, they're basically integrated into the office suites. So for instance, like there's no button inside of Google Docs that allows me to say, actually, I'd like to store this one on, uh, I don't actually know what the Azure storage system's called, but, I, but I'm sure that Microsoft has an Azure thing. So you can't save your... Google Doc on Azure. You can't save your Google Doc on Dropbox. You can't save it on Amazon S3. Like the Office Suite is integrated with the storage solution, but it is it is conceivable that we could make it we can make a, an app that spoke a decentralized storage system. But the way that that typically really actually works is that those decentralized storage systems they represent themselves as folders on your file system, and you just save it locally. Yeah, but. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, at a, a Word doc right now, and it's, it's, I think it's over one megabyte just for one doc. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard, I'm talking like I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I've, I've heard that, uh, that storage is really expensive on like things like Ethereum or on Algorand or, you know, many, many of the actual, the popular layer one chains. Like, what, is that possible? Could I store a one megabyte file on those chains? Yeah, so all of these networks, because everyone on the planet is running them, the data has to be replicated everywhere. Especially this is the case with contract data, because the idea is, is that imagine if your contract stores one megabyte and tomorrow you make a modification to that data by like having a contract call, that means that everyone on the planet has to load that one megabyte, modify it, and store what the new version is. And so actually right. on uh, Ethereum, there's essentially an exponential function that calculates the cost of doing storage. And on Algorand, there are just extremely severe limits on how much storage something can have. And all of that storage is like accounted for by tokens that are locked on the network somewhere. Those are just two examples of networks where storage costs something. What tends to happen in distributed storage systems is they have um, basically like a probabilistic guarantee that the data is stored on the network somewhere. So for instance, you know, I'm sure that you're familiar with BitTorrent and uh, you know, systems like, um, what's it called? Like LimeWire and Napster, these are kind of old, mm -hmm. but uh, these peer-to-peer -peer file sharing networks, essentially what they did is they said, okay, we have this data and we're gonna store it on, I don't know, like 20 nodes 
uh, on the network. And when you want that data, you, you ask around and you figure out, okay, does anyone have this? Does anyone have this? And you search for it. And if right. you didn't find it, then you just wait for the network to change over time. And I think that a lot of people, when they think about um, blockchain networks, they have, I mean, if they're of a certain age for being familiar with these peer-to-peer -peer file sharing services, they assume right. that it works like that, but it doesn't actually, the data is replicated everywhere all the time. So you could make something like that and tie it uh, to blockchain. Um, I believe that there's quite a few um, uh, systems that are exactly like this, where they basically, you have to pay coins uh, in the token of the blockchain to get people to replicate your data. Um, yeah, so you could do something like that, but um, that's not really blockchain in the same in the same way that we talk about blockchain storage and elsewhere. Right. So, okay. Well, um, if we can't, if we shouldn't store the the entire documents on a blockchain like Ethereum or Algorand, um, then like what, what, what should we store on there? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that's pretty typical um, is, is that rather than storing the actual data, what you can do is you can store what's called a commitment for that data. The commitment for the data can be implemented in a lot of different ways. So it can be implemented with a signature. It can be implemented with a checksum. You've probably heard of MD5 or SHA-256 or these things. Mm -hmm. Basically what these uh, algorithms do is they take a large amount of data, essentially an arbitrarily large amount of data, and compress it down to something really, really small. But this compression process is one way. So what that means is that like, if you take a bunch of files on your machine and you zip them, the whole point of zipping them is that you can unzip them later and get the exact same data. In contrast, when you use a hashing algorithm, one of these uh, things like SHA-256 and whatnot, sure. what that does is it takes your data and it says this data is you know 1799, uh, AB862, and it compresses it to that. And then that uh, value that you get, you can't go back to your data. But now, why is this valuable? Basically, the reason this is valuable is that you can store that thing on the network somewhere. Um, and then and, and then that's replicated everywhere. So you store that on the, on the network replicated, and it says, Jay's homework on October 28th is this thing. Okay. Right. And then later on, what we can do is someone can present you with a file and then you can check, is this file the one that's his homework? And we can check that by rerunning the hashing algorithm and then seeing if they're seeing if it matches. Now, so, just kind of as an aside, like, uh, you know, I'm like obsessed with technical detail. So I, I feel like I have to tell you this little thing. So it's not possible for this, these functions um, to not overlap with one another. Typically, they will compress an arbitrary amount of data to exactly 32 bytes. Um, so, of course, any data that's bigger than 32 bytes, uh, you know, you're losing information. So imagine that uh, the, the things that it can be renamed are like seats on a bus. And the bus has, you know, 200 seats. So this is a really big bus. So there's 200 seats on the bus. And if you have 4,000 people that go try to sit on the bus, there's going to be an overlap. Um, and doing that, finding an overlap where two things map to the same place is called a hash collision. And discovering a hash collision uh, is um, extremely rare on these actual algorithms. And when you find one, basically everyone says, all right, we're never going to use this hashing algorithm ever again. We'll upgrade it to the next one until we find another one. 
So anyway, so these hashing algorithms are useful because we can store a very small amount of data on chain to certify that this other data that's stored off chain is the right stuff. Mm -hmm. But that actually doesn't really help you if what you care about is backing up your data because your right. data is not actually stored anywhere else. Because, you know, just the whole point is, is that you're worried about losing your megabyte file. It's not that you're worried about someone else claiming that this file right here, that is really Jay's homework. That we we want to know, we want to have your homework so that you don't have to store it on your computer. Right. So the that's what, I mean, really then blockchain or actually the public change we're talking about really isn't there to actually store the information. What is there to actually is guarantee that something you might have is the thing that it that you say that it is. So it's more more about validation and you know verification. But there are, are other decentralized storage solutions like SIA, uh, SIA coin, IPFS, Rweave um, out there as well. And um, the uh, so the idea with that is that you kind of have pair them together where you have your your public chain, your algorithms uh, or Ethereum to store the actual different uh, hashes, the commits to, of, of the files. And then you store that file itself on one of these decentralized storage um, solutions that are sensor resistant. I feel like uh, we've talked about how um, blockchain has something to say about the cloud storage part of typical office suites. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, that's not really, that's not very office suite especially, you know what I mean? Right. So we've we've talked about how we're not going to use blockchain to actually run the program and store our clicks. Yep. We're not going to use blockchain like intrinsically to store this data. Of course, you can use it to store all sorts of data. So like what else is there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really um, one of the things like when you're when you're writing a document, I would say the majority of the time you're actually writing the document is to actually give to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, it's not only for yourself. I mean, I guess if you're writing your diary or what have you, yeah. um, but uh, for most of the time I'm writing a report to get to my boss or I'm writing, what, writing a white paper to talk about the new invention that I'm going to do or, or one of those things. So um, like I said uh, earlier, blockchain is good for verification. So how do you know that I, Chris Winter or Jane McCarthy, am the one that actually wrote this report? Mm, yeah. So I, I think that the asking the question, how do we know that we wrote it is a harder question to answer than how do we know that I published it? Um, yeah. So uh, if we Agreed. just focus on publishing, then, you know, we could go back to my uh, sensor resistant uh, blockchain blog that we talked about last time. Yep. And I can uh, I can post it on there. And then that way I can say, well, OK, here's this, uh, you know, checksum of my uh of my of my you know cool new thing go look for it on the file sharing networks and you'll know that's the thing that i wrote uh but i don't really think it's plausible to know whether or not i actually wrote it just that i'm the it's the one that i published at you know what let's go down a rabbit hole how <laughs> could how could we actually guarantee that i am the one that actually wrote it i mean so like does it count as me writing it if you're using my computer but i have my wife type it in does it count um, as me writing it if I dictate it to some to my typist? Uh, you know, if, if we real like, there's a there's one thing which is like, oh, make sure it came from this computer and make sure it came from like you know my fingers. You know what I mean? What we're gonna do right. is we're gonna like exactly uh, check that my fingers are the one typed it. But I could like be reading it from something uh, while right. I'm typing it, so someone else could write it and then I just type it up. 
Yeah, so I like, just do, think- do they have computers that you can actually like prick your finger, drop the piece of blood in, and then like <laughs> I don't I don't know yet. Uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of implausible um, to do this. There are many times when the things that we want uh, can be well defined. Um, they seem to be well-defined, like, I want to know who wrote this. Uh, but when we actually try to take that human concept and represent it in math, which is what you need to do when you think about right. making a computer for something, it's not really plausible to do that. This is actually a, a very deep idea in computer science called the Church-Turing thesis. Which but this is that, also not a blockchain problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, not, not a blockchain problem at all. Right. Although, actually, you know what? I, do, I would like to say that um, one strategy that you might have to prove that you did something uh, is to actually record yourself doing it um, and then uh, post the video. Um, and, and then now commit the hash of the video to exactly. show that. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, if I like, um, you know, if I like record myself doing it, you know, I've got like a, all these cameras set up so you can't see, you can see it. I'm not like copying. Basically, you'd have to, you'd have to, if you didn't believe that I did it, you'd have to expect that I, doc- I doctored the video. Uh, or that I actually memorized, memorized it before it. writing it. You know, the, it's, there are certain things where it'd be worthwhile to do those things, but uh, yeah, we're definitely far afield. Uh, right. So I don't think that I don't think that you can verify that you did it, but you can definitely publish it. You can definitely sign it. And I think that um, sometimes when we think about blockchain, um, we are a little bit too myopic, thinking that what it means for a blockchain to be successful is for the specific technology of a blockchain consensus network. But I think that also we're, we're living in a time when the ideas and innovations of public key cryptography are coming to be realized as being practically useful. So for instance, like, yes, signatures are used all throughout um, the our digital infrastructure like every time you go to an https site you're looking at a certificate which is really a signature to verify that it was given to the correct person but mm-hmm. consumers don't really think about i'm going to sign this and it's not really a consumer level activity to use signatures so right. i think that it is plausible to say that uh, blockchain could allow normal people to understand what signatures are and then apply them directly and that is something that they might do as part of their office suite experience yeah but in my experience, people don't want to understand technology. They just want the benefits of the technology. So what, what would the actual benefits of this feature actually be? Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the benefit of this feature is, is that people can't fake doing something. People can't fake uh, signing something for you. Um, you know, I think that a lot of us do uh, e-signing. Yeah. And um, e-signing strikes me uh, as something that... Uh, they don't really make a case for why it's secure. Like when I go to Adobe eSign, uh, essentially it it seems to me that just like it was signed by whoever happens to control my email address. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really the thing that they're offering. So, yeah. um, you know, as you say, maybe people don't really want a real guarantee about this. Yeah. So, I mean, like with this, so what I would say is that um, the adding blockchain to an office suite is that, Every time that you saved um, or you'd want to collaborate, you are actually signing it in a better way than Adobe eSign or DocuSign or anything of that sort. Because not only are you signing it with your identity that has been built up and signed 
and your your payments and everything of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're actually signing it in a very transparent way on the ledger so that it is uh, trackable. Yeah, so that other people know that you signed it as opposed exactly. to just sort of like applying a signature somewhere else. Yeah, because, you know, like as, as we said, like, you know, DocuSign, these things, all we know is, is that someone with this email address did this, but uh, the email address could be compromised, but presumably your private key is safer. Okay, so we've kind of talked about how we don't want to run the program. Nope. We can do the storage, but it's not very exciting. We can do signing for collaboration. Uh, I think maybe the next thing is, is that, you know, there's marketplaces of templates and assets in all of these tools. Um, and I think marketplaces are, uh, are a natural place to talk about blockchain. Mm-hmm. Because right now, uh, essentially the way that marketplaces work are you get a whole bunch of stuff that's provided by the company for free. Um, you have stuff that's provided by hobbyists, which is of questionable quality. And then you have gigantic bundled packages where you could be like, okay, I'm going to download 10,000 pictures of cats to put inside of my photo and, and put inside of my um, uh, presentations. And of course, there are websites which are basically subscriptions to these asset packages. And the reason yeah. why they have to be subscriptions and giant bundles is because of the transaction costs of buying something. Because um, if I can buy 10 things, sorry, uh, 10,000 things for $10, uh, that essentially works out to I'm, pending, I'm spending you know, fractions of a penny for each individual thing. And because I'm only spending fractions of a penny, it's not worth making a credit card transaction for these things. So you can't do a microtransaction like that. But blockchains enable microtransactions. That is interesting. You know, being able to actually buy, uh, you know, be able to actually to have access to more uh, assets in a, in a micro way. But what I think is actually even more interesting is when, with the market is um, kind of tying into the actual signing and a market and, and creating NFTs around your documents of actually who owns the rights or who owns that those documents itself that, that then are tradable. So you can think about it like, you know, um, you know, the the original screenplay for Star Wars was written and saved on that. And who owns that now? And imagine how much that would be worth of saying, OK, that as a collectible or even um, beyond a collectible of who owns the rights to the screenplay and being able to actually put that on an open market and in a trackable um, way that you can actually guarantee and then uh, generate royalties on uh, from from there on out. So that's the other thing was that that you're you're tracking the actual ownership, the the provenance of the document from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The when it's finally published, um, you can then show the owner like the rights ownership of it. You could then take that to ownership, put it on an open marketplace for collectible reasons, for uh, uh, like royalty rights reasons, or really anything. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, and you you talking about that reminded me of something that I think might be cool too, which is that, uh, well, I don't actually know if this is real, but sometimes people will tell you that, oh, if you have an, if you have an, a, an invention that you think is really cool, then what you do is you like write one version and you like get that ready to send to the patent office and you'd make another one and you mail that to yourself. And when you get back the package, you like don't open it. And the reason that this is supposed to be important is that you can now look at the post stamp that the that the post office put on it. It says, "I stamped this on you know October twenty second in nineteen eighty five, 
And now I know that I really invented it by that time. And so essentially what you're doing is you're trying to get some external authority to certify the date at which you did something. Right. And I think that that's something that uh, is very easily I mean, done by a blockchain because basically yeah. what you can do is you can say, I'm going to sign this thing with this version of the, of the, of the chain. And we, and, you know, I send it out at that time. And then we know that it was created, uh, but you know, at that time or before it. And so exactly. basically, you don't actually have to share what your invention is, but you know, that it's been put up there. So I think that yeah. that is related to this idea of the, um, you know, of like, a you know, royalties and NFTs and whatnot. Of course, oh. royalties could also be on the assets as well. I could give the assets away, uh, for cheaper, but you know, as they become more popular, they cost money. Or you know, if you sell it, then you now have to, you know, give me a few cents because I gave you this amazing font that you're going to use in your presentation, etc. Exactly, um, and then the tie like to even tie into then maybe even tie it into somehow being able to um, generate royalties upon the amount the thing that was created is actually generating now, and like like it, it's. You get this entire network effect of um, of all of these different things working together, and because of the blockchain, everything is transparent and everything is connected together without any overhead. Um, this is plausible because you don't have the, a court system or a a licensor that having to actually keep keep track of all of this. Yeah. So the thing though is, is that the story that you just told. Uh, is not really unique to uh, the office suite, though. I mean, that's really like a general thing that has to do with any content creation, where sure. content creation is tied to NFTs and content creation is tied to provenance. Let, well, let's so, leave that for another whole talk. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I, <laughs> my my point is just that you're cheating a little bit because sure. there's this okay. really big idea about what NFTs and provenance tracking can do, and of course, we can we can apply that to you know text documents and presentations, just as much we can apply it to art and whatnot. And sure. maybe that's actually the point. Maybe the point is to say that right now, when you look at the world of NFTs, uh, they are highly associated with um, pictures, you know what I mean, images, but there's no reason that they have to be connected to images. They could be connected to other things as well. And if we imagine you know, what the blockchain future is gonna look like, the Office Suite product in 25 years is going to have blockchain features in it. And those right. blockchain features are probably not going to be specifically Office Suite ones. They will tie the Office Suite into a large right. number of other uh, blockchain infrastructures that are already out there. And before we give any more teasers and everything away of, of a future talk that we talked purely about NFTs and what are actually NFTs, let's, let's kind of move on um, mm -hmm. to the to the next, next part of is this, what are the pros and cons? Like what, like what are the pros of actually adding these things? I mean, I feel like uh, the pros are very hard to find because we've basically been uh, kind of dancing around uh, things that aren't really directly connected to the office suite itself. So I can't really see how um, blockchain is going to fundamentally change my Google Docs experience. It can definitely, you know, do a little bit of stuff on the edges, but it's not going to make a big deal in the way that it made a big deal for social networks, for instance. Yeah, I, you know, I disagree with you. Um, <laughs> that's that. This actually, this is actually the point. Um, and I was going to get into this in the next section, but you know, I'll do it right now. Is that okay. one of the things that there's a lot, a lot of like blockchain purists or decentralization purists or or whatever you want to call them? Um, they're all, you know, 
full decentralization or nothing. And I disagree completely. I think there is actually tons of value in keeping a lot of the centralized things still centralized, but adding features of decentralization to those centralized things. And it does really change them. Because, I mean, um, to me as a user um, of like e-signatures, I love e-signatures. Being able to actually sign something with a click on my computer um, and it's signed is very powerful. And if that's actually a feature that's built into my office suite, and a lot of these, a lot of this extra, you know, being able to generate a a ownership and uh, maybe trademarks and all of these other things that are very much decentralized blockchain directly into my my office suite in a in a seamless way where I don't notice it, that is actually, I believe, a bigger game changer than if it w- completely changed how why you would use it. All right, so let me say it like this. So it's not so much that the um, that my office suite experience is going to change in a drastic way for this. However, right now there are all these ideas that are like sitting out there in their own little tiny islands uh, in the blockchain world. And what we're saying is is that the office suite on blockchain is going to grab all of those things that are all complicated that you know you need to know technical things and what they're going to do is we're going to wrap it up into a beautiful experience that's going to yeah. make it so it normalizes it so you don't right. have to say to yourself i'm going to do a weird thing now i'm going to take my google doc and turn it into an nft i'm not going to do this weird thing of taking my um i'm you know take my microsoft word document and print it out to a pdf and then upload my pdf to adobe e-sign it's just i'm just going to say that i'm going to sign this thing and i know that everyone is going to be able to check that even though it didn't you know go through some centralized server which sent out an email to me you know what i mean we're basically talking about normalizing these ideas and then that is a game changer for our like technical culture you might say as opposed to being a game changer for this particular software product. Right. Um, and I think like that is, I think you and I, we, we, sometimes we get caught up in the whole, like, oh, like how is something going to be implemented and how exciting it, it isn't. But really what we need to focus on is purely about like, h- how does this product turn the user into a superhero? And I, I think that's like when, when that happens, it's much more impactful. So, um, so I, I would actually say all of those things that, you, that uh, we talked about are all pros if they're seamless. Mm. If they're not seamless, if, you're, if you have to do these extra things, I think it completely breaks down. And I guess that can go into the con is that um, blockchain today is not seamless. It's not, yeah, but- you, you have to do a lot of extra things to, you got to sign things and got to connect your wallet and things of that sort. But that, I, I believe that's because we're early and not because that's a, just a limitation of blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like uh, to, to sort of uh, continue with a theme that I try to press every time, you know, what blockchain does is it empowers individual end users to do things for themselves that currently they rely on centralized providers for. So centralized right. providers currently, uh, you know, check that something's been signed for you as opposed to you being able to do it yourself. And right now, the pieces are there to do it yourself, but they're just too hard to use and they they haven't been made in a nice way. So let's just get down to brass tacks here. Yeah. Is the Office Suite better on blockchain, Jay? <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I have to admit it. I walked into this saying... <laughs> Talk about the office suite. Come on, give me a break. 
but nice. uh, but I think uh, I think I think I'm a I think I'm a believer. Um, I don't think that uh, I I don't think that I I don't think that um, it's better in a super exciting way, but it can become an exciting thing. You know what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's super exciting, but, I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very much, that is my personality as a way. It's like, oh, if, if it's going to be better, it's, let's do it. It's the stuff, yeah. everything. Let's do it. So, um, but here is actually a good question. Would you actually fund a startup to do this? I don't think so. I, I, you know what? I don't think I would either. <laughs> See, guys, um, I think the, the problem is, is, is that what we're really talking about is taking the tools that people already use and then right. making it so that they have this nice thing integrated into them. Right. So a startup that is going to create a new office suite so that it will have this one new feature, that's just right. implausible. You know exactly. what I mean? It's like they, it's just so much effort to get to the point where people would even want to use you that the, like the time to do that, like the big guys can just do it. You know what I mean? Exactly. One of the questions that's, um, you know, if I put Mac in my you know investment hat on back in the normal B2B SaaS business days is, is this a product or is this a feature? Yeah. And I, this is 100% a feature. I mean, you, I guess you could like, you know, take open office and you could build a feature onto that, but you would probably have to then make it open as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, so like it, the, the biggest trouble, the hard thing to actually do with this product is actually getting traction for your main product. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so I, I personally, I, I usually don't ever say this, but um, I wouldn't actually invest um, in this blockchain uh, company. Yeah. And I think that the, the problem here is, is that, uh, I mean, basically the games in town are Google, Microsoft, and then the open suite. Okay. So the open suite I'm sure that we could, you know, hack together a bunch of plugins, but who cares? No one's really using it. And it's right. certainly not a way to make money. So that means that we got to wait for Google or Microsoft to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Microsoft is not going to have Office 365 uh, do stuff on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, right. Maybe they'll do it on the Microsoft blockchain when that exists someday. Similarly for Google, like I right. can imagine, uh, you know, plugins for either of these being produced that uh, have that do blockchainy things, but the main companies that are in this space, you know, Adobe, Adobe as well, they yeah. strike me as the kind of people who would not support somebody else's chain. Right. And maybe I'm just um, being overly critical and not charitable for them, but uh, that's the impression that I get based on how they act in other ways. The good news is I'm sure every one of them are working on building their own blockchain right now. Hopefully. Will it be, will it be public? Probably not. <laughs> but um, they are working on it. So like, this, this is one of those sad things to me is that um, we both actually fully believe that blockchain would make these products so much better, but the only people really in the position to actually use these are probably there. They don't, they don't want to because it, it, it cuts them out of, out of the loop. So, um, you know, Google, yeah, like it wouldn't surprise me if, Microsoft is working on their, their a competitor for Adobe eSign that is centralized as opposed to a way of enabling end users to build their own sign, right. for instance. So because I, I, I'm, I'm sure Google and Microsoft and uh, Adobe are, are all watching this. Um, so please <laughs> just give in, build this feature. We'll help you. Um, it's not a hard feature to build. I mean, all you're really doing is storing the hashes and um, you know confirming those hashes and everything. That's actually really easy, simple to build. 
um, and we'll help you. <laughs> you got to do it though. Well, cool. Okay. So we've kind of covered what the office suite is. We you know, tried to stay focused. We talked about some pros, mainly having to do with uh, provenance and tracking of when something was made, being able to certify that it came from you and how this connects to the larger NFT marketplace ecosystem that we imagine blockchain building. We right. talked about how this could be a big game changer on how we collaborate with one another and how we prove that we've done something. But the major con is that it's just too messy right now and it relies on uh, established players to really do it. But if it could be adopted by some of those big houses and made in a way that's really seamless, it could really change the way that people approach document creation. And that would be yet another way of enabling a ubiquitous blockchain future. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, but the, the one cool thing is that we're kind of like teasing to a future episode that NFT piece could be a uh, thing that somebody could actually build and bolt on, and that would still make sense. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about that in another one. But uh, thank you so much for everybody for watching this. Um, once again, my name is Chris. This is Jay. I'm the CEO um, and CTO. I'm, at, I'm, the C I'm the CEO. He's the CTO of Reach. And uh, please come join our Discord channel. Come um, check out our docs. Um, and of course, as always, because uh, this is a YouTube video, go ahead and uh, smash that like, subscribe so you get all the, the, uh, the notifications uh, for when we do these. And uh, please comment below um, any ideas that you might like to see. Uh, this one was completely an idea from somebody else that uh, we decided actually to completely go at blind. So I hope we did a good job, but I had fun talking about it at least. Yeah, definitely. It's always fun to talk about this. And remember, uh, the future is better on blockchain. See you later. See ya.